Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. Okay, you guys can respond. You got, it's a bigger crowd in here today. I'm going to let you guys respond once again. Good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. Those of you in the house, awesome, very good. And welcome for those of you who are online. Thank you so much um, for joining us today. It's our second week uh, with uh, people back in person. Uh, second week with the option between uh, being here or uh, watching live online. I'm really excited that you're here today. It's week four of our series, I Choose Love. And we've been taking a look at what the Bible has to say about one of the big uh, issues of our time, of our generation, and of our culture, and that is the idea of racism, racial reconciliation, and prejudice. And today, I'm joined by two great friends, and I was thinking about this. Both of you are golf buddies of mine, because I've played golf with you more than once, which I think qualifies as golf buddies. So anyway, so I'm glad to have today Cole Peterson and Jim Daniel. Why don't you guys in the house give it up for them this morning? Uh, they both have served on the leadership team here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. They are both amazing servants for the Lord and our kingdom guys. And uh, Cole served on our stewardship team, uh, I think a number of times, and uh, actually was there in the beginning of our, of our stewardship team. And uh, also serves, you might see him under normal circumstances, non-COVID days, uh, you might see him greeting at the door. And uh, so he's, he and his wife, Peaches, are just uh, good friends. And uh, thanks so much for all that you've done to invest in me. And Jim has served also on our stewardship team and also teaches back in, in Ignite and Island Kids, uh, again, under non-COVID days, uh, and uh, is an elder right now at our church. I've asked him to uh, go into overtime as an elder uh, for an extra six months. So uh, anyway, so I'm sure that he's just so glad about that. Anyway, I'm uh, really glad that you're here today. Uh, guys, thank you so much for all that you've done to invest in me today. Um, really just as a recap, I want to give, give you all a recap of kind of where we've come from and where we're going and why we're here today, right? Why we're at this point today and why I've asked Jim and Cole to be a part today. We've been talking about what the Bible has to say about this issue, and we talked in week one about the idea of oneness, that our pursuit ought to be oneness, not sameness, but oneness. Uh, in week two, we talked about repentance, and I believe that one of the great um, reconciliation, parts of reconciliation, or maybe even forebearers to it is repentance. And I think God's calling the church to repentance in this area right now. Last week, we talked about what it means to love like Jesus. And this, we talked about the story of the Samaritan woman at the well and what it means to love like Jesus. Uh, over the course of the next few weeks as we uh, you know, kind of are on the, on the second side of this series, you're going to hear from different people. And I wanted you to hear today from Jim and Cole, because I believe what we're building to is a bit of a crescendo of reconciliation, of racial reconciliation, and how the church can, can lead and foster reconciliation. Uh, but today, I want you to hear about that and what Jim and Cole have to say about that and what the Bible has to say about it. But today first, I want you to hear a bit of their story. Um, and so Cole, I'm gonna start with you. Given the climate of our time and given you know, George, the George Floyd, Floyd incident, at, I think the end of May, um, and uh, what happened down in Brunswick earlier this year, um, uh, yeah, I, and many others, um, what, what happens in your life, what experiences are brought to your mind when all of a sudden this is thrust 
into the national and international view of things. Tell us a little bit about what comes to your mind and the experience that you've had personally in this area. Todd, thanks. And, and thanks for giving us the opportunity to share a little bit this morning. Good morning, church. Morning. For those of you here, as well as those of you out there within the uh, sound of my voice. Uh, well, if you haven't figured out by now, I'm a black man in America. <laughs> uh, and, you know, when you uh, really reflect, we all are a product of our experiences. Okay, who we are today, whether we're at age 10 or 20 or 70 or 88, uh, we're all a product of our experiences. And so I asked the question in, the, uh, in our first service, and, uh, and let me ask you this. Do you remember how old you were when you got your first wrist watch? Hmm. How old were you when you got your first wrist watch? <laughs> I think I heard somebody even, even answered over there. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, I was seven. I was seven years old, and I'm definitely giving away my age because that was August of 1955. Uh, and my parents, and I basically grew up in Chicago, so I, I was Alabama-born but Chicago-bred. And so back in the summer of 1955, my parents wanted me to go and spend the summer with my granddad because grandma had just passed away. And so I went to spend the summer in Dothan, Alabama. Uh, and... Uh, on a Sunday after uh, service, my, uh, my grandfather said, uh, he said, Lonnie, and by the way, that is not in my birth certificate, so I don't know where the name Lonnie comes from, but I guess black folks, we just use all kinds of names, Jim, you know, going back and forth. <laughs> but anyway, he said, Lonnie, he says, tomorrow I'm going to buy you a wristwatch. And I knew exactly what kind of a wristwatch I wanted. I wanted that Mickey Mouse wristwatch. You know, the one with the, uh, the two black ears and the eyes and the nose and the white gloves that went around the dial like this? And I knew exactly what I wanted. So we got up on Monday morning, and we're headed to downtown Dothan, Alabama, to the department store. And so we'd taken public transportation. Uh, and so like any young kid that gets on the bus, the first thing you want to do is break for a good seat by the window. That's right. And that's exactly what I did. So I'm sitting there. And I noticed that my granddad wasn't sitting next to me. And then all of a sudden, I looked about, and he's sitting in the back of the bus, some people standing in the back of the bus, and he's beckoning to the back of the bus. And I said, well, this is kind of weird because we got all these seats up here, but, hey, he's buying me that Mickey Mouse watch, you know, the one with the two black ears and the eyes and the nose and the white gloves that go around the dial like this. So to the back of the bus, I go. So then we got downtown and uh, to the department store, uh, and uh, Todd, I saw something I had never seen before. It was colored water. So man, I rushed over to this water fountain because uh, it said white and colored, and I had never had, had plenty of white water, but I'd never had any colored water. <laughs> and uh, so I had it, and it was a little eerie because it tasted the same as any other water that I'd ever had. But that was the day I was going to get my Mickey Mouse watch, you know, the one with the, the black ears and the eyes and the nose and the white gloves that went around like that. And finally, we got over to the jewelry counter. And there it was, Jim, that Mickey Mouse watch, man. He was sitting there in all his glory, all right? And uh, this young woman behind the, the, uh, uh, the counter, she couldn't have been older than 14 or 15 because back then we didn't really have the kind of labor laws we had today. And she says, is that the watch you want? And I went... Oh, yes, that's the watch I want. She says, pardon me? 
I said, oh, yes, yes, that's the watch I want. And then in a somewhat irritated tone, she asked it again. But before she could finish, my 65-year-old grandfather said, yes, ma'am, that's yes, ma'am. That's the watch he wanted. And I said, I thought it was a little odd that my 65-year-old grandfather is saying yes, ma'am, to this 14, 15-year-old girl. But that was the day that I got my Mickey Mouse watch, you know, the one with the black ears and the eyes and the nose and the white glove that went around like that. And so when I got home, uh, back home in Chicago, and I was telling my folks uh, about it, I said, Dad, I said, man, I tell you, I got my Mickey Mouse watch here. This is great, but it was, it was kind of weird. Uh, I didn't quite understand what was going on. And he says, well, son, he says, you have just experienced in the South and why we brought you North is because that's what's called Jim Crow. In other words, that in this day and age, what exists down south is that people make a difference between what uh, counter you can eat at, whether you can be served, how you're treated, the front of the bus, back of the bus, based on the color of your skin. There is also something else that happened in August of 1955. For those of us who are old enough to remember, is when a, a young man at the age of 14 or 15 was lynched by three white men uh, his body was mutilated, and he was thrown into the river. Sometime later, those three men were tried, and they were exonerated of that murder. Because of what they called double indemnity, and they couldn't be tried again, all three of them said, yeah, we did it. Yeah. Also, the, uh, by the way, the reason he was lynched, allegedly, is because a young white woman had said that he had said something inappropriate. At the age of 88, by the way, she said, uh, I actually made that up. So, uh, my Mickey Mouse watch has one of my greatest days, yeah. Todd, but it was also mm. one of my most tragic days when I think about the experiences that we have in America and the differences that can be made based on the color of mm. our skin. Uh, I'm sure I'll have an opportunity to say a bit more later. So, Jim? Mm -hmm. Cole, thank you for sharing that experience, man. Thank you. Jim. Sure. I, um, I grew up in the South, in North Carolina. Um, my, all my formative years were in the South, um, where racism was a, a standard part of life in the South where I grew up. I mean, I can talk to you about times when I couldn't buy a hamburger from McDonald's because they didn't serve colored people. Wow. To the fact that when I went to um, recently integrated high school, I was referred to by my teachers. Many of the teachers referred to me as the lower class element coming into the schools. But the, the most racist, um, experience that I've had in my life that I remember was, um, came flooding back to me um, back in February um, when Ahmaud Arbery was killed in, um, in Brunswick, Georgia. I, um, it's the summertime. We're out of school. Um, my neighborhood, we had a little baseball team. We'd get together and we'd play baseball games. And we spent, because none of the teams were integrated, um, 
we would play wherever we could get a game to play. So we went to this one white neighborhood to play this baseball game. And we played the game, everybody had a good time. And my, one of my friends and I were walking back home. And as we're walking down the street, we hear someone yelling something at us. And we turn around to look, and now this person starts shooting at us. And we start running, because uh, obviously I don't want to get shot. But we're, we're running, and this guy's following us, and he's still shooting at us. And we come to a corner or an intersection, and there's a police car pulling up. I don't know if you heard the gunshots, it's what brought him, or if he was just on patrol. But we ran up to the police car. We stopped the policeman, and we said, this guy's shooting at us, and he's still coming. The policeman gets out of the car, he gets the guy's gun, and he asks him, why was he shooting? And I'm quoting because his words are ingrained in my brain. They were walking down the street like they owned it. They were walking down the street like they owned it. Those were his exact words as to why he came out and started shooting at us. Um, we, of course, filed a complaint. The guy, they have a trial. Now, this guy didn't get charged with attempted murder. He didn't even get charged with assault with a deadly weapon. He charged him with something like illegally just firing a gun in the city limits. And he got probation. It was after that that I, I came to realize that as I reflected on it, that I was, we were disposable to this guy. He, if he had killed us, nothing would have changed as far as he was concerned. He was, we were just disposable. Our, our lives, our existence didn't matter to him. And the only reason for that was the color of our skin. You know, when he, he, never, he never tried to get away when, when the cop pulled up. He didn't even make up some story that we had done something to try to, to cause him to come after us. He just said they were walking down the street like they owned it. And for him, that was enough to get rid of, to kill us. Um, that was probably the most racist experience I've ever had in my life. And when you, and when you go through something that evil, is what I'll call it, you, you get hurt and you get angry. And you have a, I've learned that you have a choice. You can live in that. And if you do, then that's where you'll be the rest of your life. Or you can forgive and move on which is really what I, what I chose to do. You know, I think that part of the reason that I wanted you to hear some of their stories, and, and thank you, Cole and Jim, for, for sharing that. And it's not lost on me that those are hard experiences even today, so many years later, to share. Part of the reason that I think it's important that we hear that is because there's a lot of us, let's just face it, who haven't had this. We haven't been the subject of racism. We haven't been um, the point of prejudice. We haven't, we haven't experienced the injustice that you have experienced. 
And for me, it's been a bit of a wake-up call, to be quite candid. Uh, what we've gone through as a country and a culture and a world, not just with COVID-19, but with everything that we saw and that we've seen and the kind of the results of it has been a wake-up call to realize that maybe we're a little bit naive. Maybe there is a bit of an ignorance, by, not maybe by choice, but just by not understanding and not knowing. And I think that part of the reconciliation is the acknowledgement that this is wrong, that it is evil. It is something that Amos in the Old Testament called out with the nation of Israel. And I think God's calling us to restoration today. Um, it's, it's hard for me to realize as a country how so many things have happened to, that would lead to restoration. And Jim, in our conversation a few weeks ago, you made the statement to me that we are primed to see this issue uh, resolved here in America. And that, that gave me hope. But why hasn't it happened in full up to this point? I'd love for you to speak to that. And, and I threw him off in the first service. This question wasn't on the script, all right? So I'm throwing, it, throwing you off again. Why, hasn't, why haven't we solved this? And not just in America. I realize it exists elsewhere, but it's very poignant here. It's, it's uh, sharp here. Why haven't we solved this for so many years? Civil War, 1960s, uh, why haven't we solved this in your estimation, Cole? Well, I think, uh, you know, we, we have to go with the flow with uh, Todd here because, you know, he kind of moves around on you a little bit. <laughs> the, the, uh, um, first of all, the, the question is the question that has been with us for so many years. And I think it starts with we as Christians, believe it or not, believe that we are um, well positioned and that in many cases we are okay. See, this is, I was uh, reviewing Ephesians earlier where he says, for we are his workmanship created in Jesus for good works. And so I think many times that we're comfortable because we check the box, we come to church on Sunday, okay, and we hear a nice comfortable sermon. Uh, and then we all head off to brunch, uh, and um, we've done our Christian thing for the week, okay? Uh, but uh, no, I don't think that Jesus himself was really that comfortable, okay? Uh, and it's not something that's really comfortable for us either. The starting point in many cases, Todd, is because we just don't think about it, or as other people say, we just don't get it. In other words, we have a view that we all started from, you know, when the gun went off uh, and the race started, that we were all on an even keel. And that's just not the way that history has said it, okay? Uh, some of us came over as immigrants, but a number of us came over in slave ships, okay? Separated from families uh, and uh, worked for the first uh, 300 years uh, as uh, enslaved, separated from our families. And so when the Emancipation Proclamation came along in 1863, I think it was, America had existed for a number of years uh, with some having privilege and some having not. Uh, the term that is used is really white privilege, but the truth of the matter is I think that we just don't think about it. We just don't think about it. 
if I'm a white person in America, just thinking about the, uh, uh, the story that Jim and I told you, uh, your family has had, uh, if you happen to be white in America, you're, you've had a different experience uh, than, uh, than black folks in America have. And when I use the term white privilege, by the way, I don't mean you necessarily have three Cadillacs in the garage and uh, you know, have a house here and, and one in Vail. Right. It's just <laughs> by virtue of your birth of being of a certain color, you start out of the starting block differently than others in America have experienced. And so when we come to church on Sunday, the question is, is that what are we hearing? Are we hearing the story that Jesus experienced when he was at Jacob's well and the Samaritan woman comes up and what does he see? He sees a woman, he doesn't see a Samaritan woman. And he says, woman, give me some water. Now, we all know the, the history of, that was almost unheard of. I love the story when you shared that, that uh, last, uh, last week. Matter of fact, I always kid on that because I think that she was so shocked that she looked at him and said, uh, are you talking to me? Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? I always say that all the time. You're talking to me? Talking yes, he was talking to her because he didn't see gender. Yeah. He didn't see color. Our question I often have on this topic is, is that when we're in church on Sundays, is what we're hearing from the pulpit, and is it what we're asking ourselves when we leave, is that are we genuinely behaving in that Christ-like way? Because all the answers are in a book. I think it's called the Bible. Okay, You can try the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's all saying the same thing about what our responsibilities are to each other, and are we genuinely living out our lives in that way? And it's uncomfortable, okay? Yes. It's uncomfortable for you to look across uh, the street and see that someone, as a result of their color, did not start from the same starting block as you, mm -hmm. and that creates a different kind of, uh, of, a, of a dialogue. Yeah. Absolutely. Jim? Great. Jim, why has it been so long as a society? Thank you, Cole. Why has it been so long that we, and we haven't resolved this? Well, I mean, for me, it comes down to three issues. Um, one um, political and two are spiritual. The political one is that this country never embraced the true tenets of the Constitution. That Constitution was never really applied to all Americans, and we have we we fail to do that. The second is what Cole just was talking about. Um, we got away from what the Bible says. If we call ourselves Christians and Christ followers, then we should be following what the Bible says. That's our textbook for how to live with the rest of man, the rest of the people on this planet. And the third thing. Um, which totally goes unnoticed a lot, is that, for me, a spiritual warfare. Wow. There are forces that don't ever yes. want us to be yes. reconciled to each other, yes. to be close mm -hmm. to each other. Mm -hmm. And those forces are at work mm -hmm. constantly. Um, and you can see it in a lot of the stuff that's going on today. And it's those three things, to me, over the years have, you know, and, and have never 
fully been dealt with. Mm. And that is what's keeping us, from my perspective, yeah. from coming together as I think we should. Yeah, absolutely. That's you know, if, I, if I can comment on that, yeah. in, uh, in my neighborhood, I live on, 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 on Gull Point, which is a great street in a great neighborhood. And when all of this began to develop, I, you know, I, I sent a, a note out to, um, uh, you know, to my neighbors and everything, just saying, hey, listen, uh, because we happen to be the only family of color on our particular blo block and everything on, in, our, in our neighborhood, and says, hey, I know all of this is going on, uh, and, uh, and I just want to invite you that if there is a conversation you want to have or something, do not be uncomfortable about having the conversation. Okay, because we're friends, we've known each other, we spend time together. So let this not be a reason because you're not comfortable to say something about it. And here are two particular pieces of feedback that came. One of the young families sent a note saying, Coleman, thanks for saying this because we always thought that we were doing the right thing. And what they meant was, is we're growing up our kids, not having to talk about this, you know, they invite, they invite you know, kids of all backgrounds and so on. Uh, and we just assume that if we just live it like that, that'll be okay. She says, I realize now, this is the mom talking, I realize now that that's not enough, that I'm going to have to be, I'm gonna use t your word, intentional. Yeah. We're gonna have to be very intentional about being specific about talking about these things. Just even behaving this way is not enough. We have to acknowledge that it's a challenge. Mm. I had another neighbor that said, Coleman, I'm embarrassed, so don't, tell the rest of the neighborhood I said this, but we have just never experienced racism, and so we have absolutely no idea about what this experience is until you personally talked about it. And I think that that's what goes on with yes. a lot of us, okay? It's not that we wake up in the morning and say, you know, I think I'll be a racist this morning, mm. okay? It's yeah. because we just don't, uh, we just don't, uh, we don't understand it, and we're not comfortable about understanding how to broaden our experience. Mm. I love, I love that you said that because I know that that was even my, you know, as, as a pastor of this church, one of the things that I had to get through was because I've never experienced what you all have experienced. It, for me, it, I was allowing it to be a reason why we didn't discuss it, right? Because somehow in that mix, I felt guilty or I felt uncomfortable. And I think one of the points you're trying to make is, is that we can't allow those things to keep us from having dialogue and having discussion uh, about what's going on in our world today. Um, I, I want to switch gears, and I'm, I'm very thankful that you guys addressed some of these issues, but I want to I switch gears here. Um, the Apostle Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 5.18 uh, that we are reconciled to God. Specifically, here's what he says. All this is from God, um, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So God reconciled us to himself through Jesus, through Christ. We didn't deserve it. We did nothing to earn it. He was the one who offered reconciliation and we received reconciliation. And then he says this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I mean, he's speaking to the church here and Paul, the one who, by the way, talks about uh, the, you know, that we are a workmanship, that we are all created unique in Christ Jesus, uh, also says that we should be about reconciliation. And I believe that the church is called in obedience to be reconcilers. How, you know, in, in your mind, what are some specific ways? I mean, this is, my, this is the question that I'm burdened with and that a lot of pastors are burdened with, many pastors and churches. What can we 
do? What can we do? How can we foster reconciliation? How can we foster forgiveness? How can we foster um, taking a stand? What does that look like? Jim, I'll let you, you start, and then Cole can talk. Um, well, the, the word Cole just used that I will say is, is the key thing is it has to be intentional. If you think racial reconciliation is just going to happen, it's not. If we don't do anything, if we're not intentionally trying to change our relationships with each other. Um, I have a, a very dear friend um, who lives in Rhode Island now, and um, he grew up in a, a very um, racist, bigoted family. Uh, he and I ended up going to church together in Connecticut, and we attended a lot of Promise Keepers events together uh, 25 years ago. And we started to just communicate um, through that. And he, one of, one of the things he shared with me because uh, we built into each other talking about our families was that the environment that he grew up in, what he learned as a child, he did not want passed along to his children. And he was very intentional about making sure that his children didn't learn the same stuff that he learned about relating to people that weren't like them. Um, we, together, um, decided to teach a uh, Sunday school class. We went to the pastor of our church who agreed to let us do it on racial reconciliation. Um, and that, to your question, Todd, what can the church do? The things, we, that class that we taught, it was eight weeks. We had about 50 people from the congregation in that class that we did was extremely beneficial for our whole church um, because we recognize that a lot of all of us, regardless of what color you are, come um, into racial relationships with preconceived notions. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the church can do is to foster and promote racial reconciliation programs, whether it's through Sunday school, whether it's through small groups, whether it's through um, just bringing the community in yes. to, to, to talk about these things. Um, those can be done through the church. They can be promoted. They can be done through the church. Um, on an individual level, yeah. there are Christ followers of all colors that you either know, that's a common ground that we all can come to this from. We don't, you don't have to go out and just try to find somebody. You've got other Christians, other believers that you can talk to that are of a different ethnicity. I keep saying that, I can't get that word out. <laughs> <laughs> that are different ethnically. So that's, to me, an, an easy way to foster this is to is to seek out other Christians that are not the same ethnicity yep. as you. <laughs> so 
you know, one of the things that, and I've mentioned this to Todd before, and we've talked about it, um, this church, our church, Hilton Head Island Community Church, does a great program. We were doing it before COVID kind of killed it. But <laughs> our four, the thing that we do at Shelter Cove Park, the 4-HHI program, um, to me is a great opportunity for us to foster racial reconciliation in this community. There are 40,000 people that live on Hilton Head Island. Um, and a big portion of that community are native Hilton Head Island people um, who right. are, are very um, offended by a lot of the things that get promoted on Hilton Head Island. And we have an opportunity through that program that we run out of this church to be active in in changing those attitudes and those positions and bringing people closer together. 40,000 people is not a whole lot of, it's not a big, huge, ginormous population. That we can't be more inclusive um, and, and intention, intentionally try to be more inclusive um, in bringing us all together, so just here. Love it. I, I hear you say in, in your answer to that, how can the church be reconciled and how can we lead and how can we foster reconciliation? We do it through our students and young people. I always sound so old when I say young people, but I'm saying young people by, by fostering those conversations there. And some, something Peaches talked to me about, uh, uh, Cole's wife, uh, that, uh, you know, we, we, that's where we start. Uh, by, but also by inviting others uh, to be a part who, who are from, from different backgrounds. Cole, what say you about the church and the church's role in reconciliation, racial reconciliation? Yes. Well, I th think the, the starting point is doing exactly what you're doing right now. I, I, I said to Todd earlier off, kind of offline, that I appreciate what he's doing here. And what I mean is, is he, he's not checking what I call the racism checklist. In other words, well, based on what's going on in the world, uh, it's, you know, let me give a sermon about this and then we can kind of move on with the rest of life. But we can see that by the commitment that we're making over time to this topic, that it, that the starting point is, is that this is more than a Sunday call. This is a, uh, something that's, that's, that's bigger uh, and it's something that we have to struggle with. So I think that that's, that's one step. I think the second step in reconciliation is to accept the fact that uh, none of us are perfect, okay? Uh, you know, and I, I knew, I know one, is it's Jesus Christ. Uh, and most of us struggle, if we're Christians, to try to be Christ-like. Yes. And I think part of that reconciliation is to accept the fact that I'm really not okay. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if the words haven't been said it, like white folks are not the only ones that suffer from racism. Okay, uh, black people do, Hispanics do, Asians do, we all struggle with it. And so I think the second point is to accept the fact that all of us are struggling with this issue. Mm. Thirdly, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. But if we think about any progress that we've made in any aspect of our lives or in our country, it's something that we've had to struggle with. Mm. And so how does that happen? Mm. As a part of the church, uh, not just our individual church, but the church 
larger is to accept that these things are, are, are difficult and to be intentional about them. But I do ask and encourage the members of our church in, in particular to, to be willing to get outside of, your, uh, outside of your comfort zone and think about the things that you do in your own family. Um, oftentimes when, when, when we get in, into these topics, a number of, of, of my friends who are, happen to be white say, well, well, well Coleman, why do you seem to be comfortable about this and that you're, you're really not hateful about it? And I had to share with them that it's really a function of my family. Growing up, when I reflect on growing up in my family, um, my family, it's not like they never said things that were disparaging about people, about he's kind of lazy or, uh, but they talked about people in terms of their characteristics. He's hardworking, she's honorable. But I never heard anything that had to do with race. I never heard anything that was negative that was race-based. And sometimes I don't think that we realize the most powerful thing that we can do as Christians is what we talk about around our own children, uh, how we call people out when you say, hey, that's really not okay. And I think that those are things in reconciliation is that external reconciliation begins with our own relationship with Christ and how we are reconciled with him. You know, again, if you allow me, uh, you know, because Jesus is, he's the answer to all of these things. He's the answer to all of these things, Todd. First Peter, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord against those who do evil. And so if we just begin with, with something that's that basic, okay, as a church, as a larger church, as a larger community, I think those can be steps in the right direction. Man, I, I appreciate that, Cole and Jim. I, you know, when I think about what you just said, that Jesus is the answer, it re really is kind of the, the last thing that I want to talk about here this morning, just, just for a moment. Um, and, and that is, is that we don't have much hope. We don't have any hope. We can solve a few problems along the way. I mean, we've, we as a country have gone, you know, 200 plus years without really solving this issue, um, you know, in, in reality. Uh, what we're doing is not working. What we're trying is not working, the politics and all of it. And I know some of it is good, but the real answer has to be Jesus. The real hope has to be found in him, I, I would think. Um, and, and, you know, either of you can, can speak to that. But, but my goodness, when I look around the world right now and look at social media, it seems like rather than choosing love, we're choosing to be right. We're choosing to stand up for what we think is the right way to go, or we're choosing to be correct. You know, we're not loving our neighbors, we're correcting our neighbors, and we're trying to be right with our neighbors, rather than just loving them like Christ loved the church. And I want to just, just finish with, with that thought, if you, if you guys want to jump in. What is, what is Jesus' role in this, the church's role, is to, to foster it and to be a part of it. We have heard some great ways of doing that, but um, how does Jesus play into this? And how does he play into racial reconciliation in your mind as we close? The, Jesus, if we look at, talk about racial reconciliation, when you look at what Jesus did, he came here to reconcile us to God. That whole, the whole time Jesus walked on this earth, he was in control of everything that happened with him. 
what he went through, what he did to reconcile us to God um, is similar to what he's pointing to us to do, to take the initiative and the intentionality, because everything he did was intentional. He didn't just randomly do anything. It was all intentional, everything that he did. And we need to be about being intentional in leading people to him as our example. Um, the first week of this message, Todd talked about oneness. Um, when you talk about, when you look at diversity versus oneness, you think, well, how do you, how do you manage diversity and still be one? The, but God already modeled that for us. If you look at, at God, there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. That's diversity. But there's one God. My friend Bruce Douglas said to me the other day, God didn't create multiple races. He created one race, the human race. But in that human race, which is one, he created diversity, red, yellow, black, and brown, and white. <laughs> he created diversity, but he created one race, the human race. So, but you know, no one, none of us would get that if you don't know what Christ said about that, what Jesus is leading us how he's led us and called us to do that. And this is some, it's important that we get into our Bibles, that we know what God's plan is for this. It's important that we understand how important Jesus is. And, and I don't lose sight of the fact that one day we're all going to stand before him and give an account of our lives and what we did with what he gave us. Mm. And it would be a very sad day to stand before Jesus and say, well, I didn't do anything to build a oneness because he says he prayed for that. Mm. If you go into, into chapter 17 of John in Jesus' prayer, he is praying for us, his Christ followers, to be one just as he and the Father are one. Mm. Not just as right. disciples, but all of humanity mm. to be one. Mm. That's good. And to stand before him and say, well, I didn't, I didn't really do that, or I didn't think I needed to do that. Mm. I think it would be a, a kind of a sad day in heaven. Oh, man, that's so I, true. I, I would just summarize out, because I know we've got time, by, by just saying, you know, if we just step outside of ourselves and step outside of our comfort zone and just try to learn more about people, mm -hmm. open ourselves up to them. And it's not going to always be comfortable. And sometimes people are not going to always be that acceptable either. But I think that that's our Christ-like obligation and yeah. behavior. And as I've said in the first service, you know, because you know what, uh, you know, when we put on our robes and our shoes and walk all over God's heaven, if you're not comfortable with uh, people who look different from you, then you may have to find someplace else to go. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, you really think about the fact that John in Revelation said when God gave him a picture of heaven, it was men and women from all tribes of all nations. 
And if we're not comfortable with this issue here, you're right. Heaven's going to be a tough place. It's going to be a very tough place. So, man, I'm thankful for you guys. I just want to remind you that um, racial reconciliation and forgiveness is a reality. I think so much of what we talk about sounds hopeless, but it is a reality when we find it in the person of Jesus. When we look for it through him, his life, and his lens, and what God did through him, we can find it. There is hope for the future. There is hope for this to be restored, but it has to be found in Jesus. Guys, I want to thank you so much. Cole, Jim, thank you. Why don't you guys give it up, whether you're at home or here, for Jim and for Cole sharing your story. I want to pray um, and end our time here today. Father, I, I just think of the words that we sang um, just even a few minutes ago as uh, a church. What can wash away our sin? Nothing, nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that includes the sin of racism. Father, you have called us not to division. You've called us to be one. You've called us to unity. And God, I thank you for Cole, and I thank you for Jim, and I thank you for their families and how much they mean to me and to, to Cynthia and my family and to this church. And God, I thank you that they were willing to share their experience and also the hope that we can have in you. Help us, God, individually, Help us as Hilton Head Allen Community Church. Help us as the capital C church at large, God, to be about the ministry of racial reconciliation. Help us to choose to love like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.